Greetings, this is Bob Ponderelli, co-host with Mike Sherrick of Into the Gap Radio, which airs Saturday afternoons at 1 o'clock Central on 1590 AM and 95.9 FM Chicago. This is the podcast version of our show where you'll get highlights of our most recent episode. Okay, let's get started. Here's my co-host, Mike Sherrick. My co-host, Bob Ponterelli, is on the DL today, and he's uh, he's in the training room getting taped up, but uh, he's not in the studio. And in Bob's place, we've got Professor Jason Hills in the studio with us. So welcome, Jason. Thank you. Hey, Bob, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hey, oh. good. Good. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I really didn't have the heart to pass on what I have. I, I've been with fever and literally in bed and... Once I start uh, laughing, which I hope to do on this show as part of you know the usual thing we do is we have fun. Yeah, uh, we never laugh. I have. <laughs> I believe. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. See what I mean? Yeah. I, it, as soon as I start laughing, I start hacking like a dog. Yeah. So. I believe having a sense of yeah. humor is not allowed according to the Democrat agenda. So, yeah. Um. Look, we have serious work to do. <laughs> uh deballing the country and <laughs> turning it into a police state. A bunch of she-men. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, um, so look, I, I just want to start off by saying, you know, I want to announce a new sponsor for the show. Oh, no. Not another one. Which one? You, you didn't know. I, I mean, I, 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 this is... The things are degrading so much out there in the culture that I just can't resist the opportunity. So, so here's the, the our newest our newest uh, uh, sponsor is the Dangerous Spoon Restaurant. Dangerous Spoon. The, the Dangerous Spoon Restaurant, mm-hmm. and the thing about the Dangerous Spoon that makes them great, mm-hmm. in spite of the fact that they failed their health inspections in three of the last five years, let's say, yeah, uh, they're they're a vegan restaurant <laughs> okay. that meets the following conditions. If you, if you profess meat, mm-hmm. you may be asked to leave by pudgy men in neck beards, <laughs> wearing a baby harness on their swollen belly, or stabbed by a dull knife because sharpened knives are an anachronism. Okay. Am I, am I really getting the edge of... Am I skirting the edge of, uh, of insulting humanity? You're, you're, you're pushing it. That's good. It's really, it's yeah. really quiet over there. Well, yeah. I'm just saying <laughs> that the culture is changing before our very eyes, right? I know, I know. And you know the last week's the last week's events are an example of how the culture is degrading. And is there I, anything I you want to point to specifically? That, well, I think the sham impeachment hearings are an absolute joke. Okay. And the fact that you know I've been looking, what is this? What is this? Is there a sleight of hand going on? And I say there is a sleight of hand. And here's the sleight of hand, mm-hmm. okay? The sleight of hand is, is that while this impeachment thing was going on, both parties in the United States reinstated the Patriot Act. Democrats voted almost unanimously for reinstating the Patriot Act, okay? And they're ostensibly uh, granting, no, not ostensibly, they're, they're griping about how the, the president that the, the president that they're trying to impeach, right, mm-hmm. is is apparently some kind of uh, I don't know what's the word demagogue or or, or a, a dictator of sorts, right? Bad guy. I mean, if you really look at it, yeah. and it seems to be the, the gripe, and and yet 
18 years later, we're reinstating the Patriot Act. Now, that should be, given the fact that we haven't had any major events in this country, why do we have the Patriot Act? Why are there 80,000, 80,000 SWAT raids per year in this country? Okay? Mm -hmm. So today, I'm taking on the role of somebody calling the show and griping. Okay, good. So much for our no complaining rule, you know? <laughs> I, I, no, I, I, I'll tell you what. I, I'm not complaining because the solution mm-hmm. is getting this out in the open. Because I, I could tell you, I will bet you that you did not know, nor did Jason know, because I just found out two days ago that there are eighty thousand SWAT raids right now per year, and there weren't more than a hundred and fifty SWAT raids a year before 1980. Yeah. yeah. So how's that? What's going on with that? Yeah, I don't understand it. Well, maybe, you know, they've got this equipment. Maybe they got to use it. I don't know. So. Well, they're giving, they're giving police departments around the country paramilitary training. Yeah. That's a fact. That's not some, you know, it's not some wistful conspiracy theory. That, that's a fact. Yeah. So. Okay. So, and, and again, it's in, the, it's in the area of stuff we're not allowed to talk about. So I would like you to just take what I'm saying as less of a complaint than a, a call to uh, look where people seem to be afraid to look. Well, I think that's the, that's the whole idea behind what we're doing is really uh, trying to raise the, the profile and, and talk about things where people have become, you know, on the way here, I, you know, I picked up Jason and we were talking about how people are just kind of, for lack of a better word, lazy. You know, they don't want to, they just want to kind of go with the flow. So. I think that's what, that's what we're, we're gonna... not allowed to crit- hmm? Mike, we're not allowed to critique our own culture anymore. No, I understand. Which yeah. is why which is why what I said a few minutes ago landed as oh my gosh. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Bob yeah. said something crazy. No. I, I, I did it was something I didn't know and had no context for it. That's all. Well, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking oh. about my cynical humor earlier. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Or or, or an attempt at cynical humor anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and by the way, let me, let me just add that vegan restaurant, which I've been to, <laughs> yeah. they're all mimicking meat dishes. I know. I know that Burger they're King, mimic- Burger vegan. King is now a, a vegan restaurant, right? Because it's got, <laughs> because it's got, uh, the impossible burger, which is not a burger at all. It's some kind of meat thing. So, so yeah, go to a vegan restaurant, Yeah, go to a vegan restaurant and find like zucchini and peppers with onions on the menu with a little slice of toast on the side. No, it's going to be fake meat. Which is a personal Italian favorite of mine. Yeah, yeah. You're, cool. you're not going to be able to get that. Yeah. So we're, we're an ersatz, we're in an, an ersatz space, I, I posit anyway. So I, I don't want to, please, Jason, I'm so happy that you're back. And you. I so look forward to hearing what gets fleshed out today yeah in the realm of things we're not allowed to really talk about so let me introduce our guest so our guest today is uh the author of we have overcome professor jason d hill from uh depaul university right jason that's right yeah so glad to have him and uh you know one of the things and bob you and i talked about this one of the things we're going to talk about today and it's uh it was so cool because the last time jason was here he kind of doorknobbed us with the idea of discussing morality and morality is kind of the third, right. the third rail of American discourse because we don't want to, we don't want to talk about it because it's dangerous, and it, um, 
it, 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 it can be triggering and it can be, it can be scary. And I, what, as I'm watching what Bob was talking about, about the, uh, um, the impeachment trial or hearing and uh, the Democratic, I watched 45 minutes of the Democratic um, debate and all the other discourse that's been going on. It's not even discourse. It's just kind of echo chamber stuff that's been going on. What we're not talking about is the shift in morality from the way this country was operated to today. And that's really why I'm so excited. It, you know, we didn't plan it this way, but it just kind of worked out perfectly that you're here to do this because that's kind of like your wheelhouse item. Right, right. So I'd love to know what you think and what you see, is, especially the most recent things that have been going on as it relates to morality. Yeah, yeah well, the problem is that um, we have sort of destroyed the foundations for talking about morality in a culture of relativism mm. because everything is up for grabs. And I think... Yeah. I think this really started um, a long time ago, but it really started with the 1960s with the creation of these fake disciplines like black studies movements, mm. gay studies or queer studies, women's studies, post-colonial movements, yeah. studies, where um, att- that, uh, there was an attack on the foundation of morality, which was forged in the crucibles of Western civilization yeah. on something called reason and logic. <laughs> and you had all these fake disciplines saying that even the construction of reason itself, which was a tool that could arbitrate among competing truth claims, yeah. was a creation of racist white males to dominate and marginalize uh, people of color, for example. Yeah. So you had what I call competing epistemologies or competing truth claims among these fake disciplines that weren't really about scholarship. They were about advocacy and about social justice warriorship taking the place of scholarship. And what you, had, what you had really was the destruction of the tool that could be the foundation for morality, reason um, being destroyed in, yeah. you know, in the universities. And we, we, can, we can start the conversation from there, how the universities uh, began that, that, that destruction. And then the rise of the self-esteem movement, the, the, the supremacy of feelings over reason yeah. from K through 12. Yeah. That, well, it's not just K through 12. It's, yeah. it's, if you look at HR departments, there's so much of that. Yeah. You know? So you were talking about um, reason as foundational. Well, we have a human nature that requires us to act in accordance with that nature. And since, unlike animals, I think we don't come into the world with an automatic recourse as to how to function, our mind basically is our tool of survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, you know, from learning how to uh, forage in the forest for the proper means of, of or nutrition, from learning the laws of nature that are conducive to our well-being, our mind or rational faculty is the tool that equips us to survive in the world. Yeah. And so reason is that tool that is our basic tool of, 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 of equipping us to survive in the world. And when you destroy that faculty, you basically are an, annihilating uh, the, the, the faculty that nature or God has equipped you to survive. It's the same way as if you were to destroy the stomach, mm-hmm. the digestive system, you would destroy the, the means by which nutrition is given through nature to equip you to survive. So when we have an educational system, when we have a culture that mm-hmm. is inimical 
uh, to reason, to that faculty which equips human beings to discover the means, the mode of survival, we are in really a kind of mayhem. Yeah. We're acting counter to that which is preservative of our, of our identity. And um, we're, we're in chaos. We live in complete chaos. Yeah. We're, we're, at the, we're at the behest of our feelings now. We're, we're, and our emotions, which are not tools of cognition. Our emotions tell, my emotions will tell me what I'm feeling, but my emotions will tell me why I'm feeling, or my right. emotions won't tell me how to resolve a dilemma. Oh, dude, you just hit on like four things that I want to look yeah, at. Yeah, me too. Um, first of all, you're, first of all, I really appreciate because because you bring this academic uh, perspective to to uh, to this conversation, and and Bob's kind of an academic. I'm the farthest thing away from an academic on the planet. I'm I'm uh, super pragmatic, and you know, a construction guy and manufacturing guy, and that's kind of how the lens I look through. But the things you're saying resonate with me. For instance, the destruction of the educational system, per se, right, as it relates to logic and reasoning. So when I was going to school, you know, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, one of the things that got drilled into us was our, was our multiplication tables and our relationship to mathematics, right? Mm -hmm. And what I discovered later on was mathematics is at the core of reasoning. There's a system to thinking about it, yes. you know? And um, I, I, was it the, my first philosophy class was almost like gym geometry right yes is it yeah like it's just a series of equations that's right and and so what happens now is kids aren't taught basic uh multiplication tables and aren't taught this relationship to numbers and to thinking and to systems and to organizing so if you're not taught which is all structural mm -hmm. if you're not engaging in structural language all you can deal with then is your feelings that's right and so it really, it gives you a false narrative of what's going on, number one, and there's no way to work through the issue. That's right. And I'm like, holy smokes. J yeah, Bobby, you're going to say something? J Jason, yeah, Jason, you had mentioned that we have an educational system that has made these, you know, inimical to reason. Say, say more about what are the attri attributes or what are the, some of the, maybe the bullet points given our time frame that, you, you know, you, we could talk about. In, in ways in which this that, that occurs, or what are Well, I think this occurred with the import. You know, well, let me say something. Mm -hmm. The American people, by their nature, are a can-do, solving problem, yeah, problem-solving people. If if left to our own devices, we wouldn't need the kind of European importation that started with postmodernism and post-structuralism, the Frankfurt School, the Hegelian School, the Kantian School, that is very status-oriented. Um, so I think the problem started when we strayed away from the founding principles of American philosophy, which is a can-do, problem-solving, practical-oriented uh, philosophy. And we, we, got, we got stuck into this kind of postmodern um, European way of thinking, which is a away from the Enlightenment philosophy into a, a philosophy that rejects reason, that rejects problem solving and is hell bent on endless speculative theorizing in which problems are not to be solved but questions are to be indefinitely asked um, with wow. no with oh, no problems God, in, with no problems with no solution in sight in fact to come up with a solution 
is to be seen in some sense as a functioning as a kind of dilettante because to be a real thinker according to these european minded philosophers and intellectuals who rule our academic or our, our academic world is uh to be a, is is to be practical and to be a real thinker is to pose more problems is to is to what they call problematize and complicate the situation whereas i think americans quite properly reject that kind of nonsense because americans are a, are problem solvers you give the average american especially men american men uh who are not do not like to be put in the passive position of being endless listeners they want to hear the fundamental basic problems and they will solve that problem within a day two days a month so our whole educational system is set up and reason is a faculty which is a process analyzing faculty which is constructed to solve dilemmas and problems not to pose endless questions and theorize and and we've had this problem since we've imported thinkers like Derrida and Foucault and the post-structuralists and the post-modernists who attack reason who assault reason who said that reason and and the faculty of reason is impotent that that man's mind can know nothing and we've crippled a whole two generation of stu- generations of students and replaced that with feelings that your feelings are what you should take seriously and your feelings tell you exactly what they do but your feeling but your feelings can't get you out of a muck out of a situation your feelings are not tools of cognition they 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 can't appraise a situation and find a solution what they do is they overwhelm you with emotions that leave you like some helpless child stuck in a form of paralysis yeah. whereas reason can logically dispassionately tell you what the solutions are help you to adjudicate among you know a multiplicity of options so i'm i'm going to just there's so much going on one one of the things you said about the feelings right one of the things that pisses me off because i'm a dude right and yeah. i'm uh, for lack of a better word an alpha male <laughs> and for lack of a better word i will get sh- uh, i will get stuff done right and i've been in scenarios where they'll say something there goes mike powering through it again in an environment where there's a bunch of feelings and emoting mm-hmm. and nothing's moving forward mm-hmm. and i'm like boom and then it's like there's not taking into consideration anyone's feelings not worrying about you know powdering butts and it's like it's like i'm like some type of terrorist mm-hmm. no all i'm doing is hitting a deadline because we had a promise mm-hmm. right and what you're pointing to is how it, it's it's even worse than just letting feelings run the show it's our relationship to integrity our relationship to getting things done per agreement mm-hmm. our commitment to fulfilling on what we're there for all is secondary to how i'm feeling in the moment yeah It's insane. It's insane. And you know what's more insane is that we've taken offensiveness and feelings as criteria <laughs> oh, I know. for shutting down action. Yeah. It's like when people say to me, you know, I'm offended by what you say or my feelings are hurt. I want to say, well, you have a democratic right to be offended. Yeah. And you have a right to have your feelings, but those are not justifications for exactly. truth and those are not justifications for shutting down action that yeah. can actually lead to a solution. Yeah. but we're so afraid of offending people. I know. As if we're going to psychologically harm them for life. I know. 
And like, you, you can't, you know, and, and there's such a gift when you offend someone, right? Because when you offend someone, they're going to whine about it, right? Yes. And then there's actually a point, an opportunity then to have discourse and to actually get into their world and listen to them and exchange ideas. Exactly. There's That's actually a, a gift. And you know, the other thing too is that an education by definition is offensive because what it does yeah. is it challenges received wisdom. Yeah. It takes you outside of your own narcissistic curated silo. Yeah. And it says, let me consider someone else's perspective. Yeah. That by definition is offensive. It offends your sensibilities. Yeah. So I like when I'm offended politely because mm -hmm. it makes me yeah. think I don't know everything. Someone yeah. else is offering me a different perspective. Yeah. Let me think about it. But uh, it's a form of cultivated and um, narcissism that we inject in our culture where we, mm -hmm. we, we take, we encourage young people to take their sophomoric high school feelings and elevate it to the level of knowledge. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's not knowledge. Bob, will you please capture that? That is the quote of the year. <laughs> it's not knowledge. Your sophomoric high school opinions are not, not, they don't constitute knowledge. Oh my God, that's perfect. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Hey, Jason. Yeah. Could you share a minute? What is the relate? And again, this is me, my own talk about narcissism. I could easily go there myself right now in the moment. But what is the relationship just to get to the root cause or as Mike likes to use the term, you know, root cause analysis, right? What is the relationship between Hegel, the, uh, the uh, Hegel and the Frankfurt School and how the Frankfurt School basically was used like a uh, injecting a virus into the uh, upper tier of the American educational system. I refer specifically to Yale University. Um, and and what was the relationship between that Frankfurt School and American academia and, and Marxism? And, 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 and eventually, I don't mean to drag in the weeds, but they're like, you know, and Gramsci and, and this kind of thing. Because it... From my view, this is, I think, how we might have gotten here is through that system. And I was just going to ask that question about that. Well, it would take a long, long, long time. But I think, I mean, I think it's a radical critique of capitalism and a radical, it's an injection of cultural Marxism and a particular uh, critique of reason itself that poisoned a sense of objectivity and a sense of... Uh, a sense of dispassionate uh, uh, approach to facts that had to be in place in order to destroy capitalism that and, a, and an approach to speculative philosophy without hardcore empirical evidence. Okay, we're going to have to take a break here now, Jason. Bob Pontarelli here, and I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll have more Into the Gap episode highlights after a short break. Into the Gap is on a quest for bringing self-knowledge right up against the glass of the great display window of life. We're also on a quest for advertisers to support this podcast, our weekly radio show, and our unfiltered podcast. If you'd like to get more information and inquire about rates, please contact me at bob at intothegapmedia.com. Greetings, this is Bob Ponderelli of Into the Gap, and we're really psyched to have the High PSI company sponsoring our show. High PSI was founded in 1976 and provides the industrial cleaning industry's finest pressure washers and cleaners. High PSI also carries Colson Ice Blast Technology, which is a cost-effective and environmentally responsible cleaning system that delivers a super high-quality finish. You can access their services and a competent, dedicated staff through their website at highpsi.com or just give them a call at 800-666-3900. 
This is Bob Pontarelli, and Into the Gap is most pleased to have Chicago Aquaponics sponsoring our show. Chicago Aquaponics provides superior quality hemp seeds, seedlings, and clones to hemp farmers everywhere. What you can count on from Chicago Aquaponics is the finest quality product imaginable and a true relationship that helps farmers succeed in producing an equally high quality product. You can find them at chicagoaquaponics.com. Join the hemp revolution at Chicago Aquaponics. This is Into the Gap, the podcast, where we bring you highlights of our radio show, which airs every Saturday at 1 o'clock Central Time on WCGO AM and FM. Okay, back to the show now. Here's Mike. Hey, we're back. Hey, Bob, thanks for, thanks for doorknobbing uh, Jason with that question that's going to take three hours to answer and you get, you know, 30 <laughs> seconds to do it. That was epic, dude. <laughs> Not only do we have the quote of the year, but we also have the, the question of the year. Um, when we were off mic, uh, Jason and I were talking about this whole idea of, of the American can-do spirit and the, and the influence of Europeanism. And you know me, Bob, I'm a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal. And the first thing I thought of was cars, right? And when you think of the 60s and you think of American cars, you think of horsepower and big steel badass rides, right? And then we had the oil crisis and we had to, you know, emasculate the auto industry to meet certain, you know, uh, fuel standards. And what ended up showing up were uh, the European cars and then also the Japanese cars. And what's showing up today is we've overcome that obstacle and no... Only the uh, Chrysler's building muscle cars, but, you know, like I drive a pretty badass pickup truck and (laughs) (laughs) and there's a lot of like SUVs and pickup trucks and you see the girls with the blonde pony hair sticking out driving an Escalade, you know? So it's, it's like, we're, we're coming back just a different version of that. Like taking the obstacle, dealing with it, overcoming it. And again, putting it back into American exceptionalism to the point where I saw, do you know what I saw as an SUV a Lamborghini SUV? Wow. Isn't that crazy? I mean, Porsche was the first one that came out. Well, actually, BMW did. And then Mercedes had the SUVs. And then Porsche. But a Lamborghini. Like, who who thinks of a Lamborghini SUV? Right. Right? Do you need that to go to, like, Whole Foods and pick up groceries? Well, that's a symbol of what the driving force of civilization, which is the masculine impulse. I mean, all civilizations have been... I said this on the last show. Mm -hmm. And people called me and said, how could you say this? I said, well, it's the truth, you know, the, the... Men have created civilizations. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 what's so cool is um, there's this guy who's got this really cool gunmetal gray uh, Lamborghini SUV that I run into all the time. And it's always when I'm in the northwest suburbs. Like, So he must live somewhere around like Northbrook or something like that, you know, because that's a $250,000 ride. Right. You know, it's not something you go down to the Chevy dealer and trade my pickup truck in for. You don't see people being inspired by driving European minis. Or fiats. Oh my god! I'd kill myself, right? <laughs> just I would just hang myself. <laughs> Here's your Mini Cooper or your Fiat or your whatever. Come on. <laughs> let, let me throw out a couple of observations based on what you just said, Mike. But also yeah. what came up earlier yeah. uh, today. We, you and I, were chatting before the show, and one of the things that came up for me was this. And I'd love to hear Jason talk about this as well. So obviously, I'm I'm picking on you a little bit, which is that that at least in recorded history, mm-hmm. we now have technology as the tool or as married being married with the narrative, uh-huh. so that it looks it, it would seem as if technology the 
Like, for example, what Mike was just inferring, which is basically we can't really work on our cars anymore because they've become too complex. So, so now, you know, I, I'd like to just see what do you think about all of the technology that is currently being used to wrap us in a globalist narrative or a narrative of um, where, where the individual really doesn't really matter or or as someone a vegan told me recently and, and i really don't even like bringing this up but it was so crazy this person said to me it i said well what about your health and this person said it's not a veganism isn't about my health it's about my values and then i sat there and i thought do you see what you just said you know like in other words your personal health is secondary secondary then to your purported values and so there's a weird little connection there. I'm just throwing it out there. So, well, when you say that the uh, the technological civilization makes the individual invaluable, I'm not not sure what that means because you well, know, chi- go ahead. Well, what what I mean here's what I mean. I mean that, like for example, we we our 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 communication now communication is all based on internet, right? So. So and and we got this consolidation, just like the looks well, like the consolidation of finance in the last thirty to fifty years. We now see the consolidation of technological power that is that is being leveraged to guide public opinion, right? So, right. well, we've got Google, we've got Twitter, we've got Facebook, right? And although they could be used beneficially, it would seem that there's this war going on, right? war for the human mind well you know you know what i think i think that technology is going to make life very different and i'm going to say something that's going to sound very inegalitarian and i'm not an egalitarian in the i'm an egalitarian in the political sense that everybody is equal before the law but not that everybody is equal it means that fewer people are going to be drawn into the future that they're just going to be a lot more social ballasts that are going to left get left behind and that the best of the best are going to be drawn into this technological future. And that's why I tell my students when they roll their eyes in class, I said, you know, you people are being trained for middle management on the wall, on the, on the floors of Walgreens or Walmart. So take your education very seriously. China's building a Silk Road that's going to navigate itself around the entire world. And there is a, and Iran is developing its uranium productions across the world with the help of Europe, there's going to be an enormous vacuum left in the world. And who's going to fill? Russia, China, uh, Iran, or United States of America. So I see this technological development as creating an opportunity for very, very strong men and women, if they want to, but mostly men, who will fill that vacuum and assume a leadership role and um, it's going to make the competition just a little bit stiffer, but I don't think it's going to make the individual redundant or irrelevant. I think it'll make a lot more people less qualified to enter into the future. I think, you know, the liberal experiment is coming to an end. And the educational system, this notion of a liberal education um, for all is probably coming to an end too. Um, so I think the technological civilization that we're entering is in from, from displacing workers to creating robots is probably going to make for a very uh, elitist new civilization. I hate to say this, but this is what I see happening. 
in which uh, a cadre of, of very strong individuals, a super race of people who will rule the world, uh, take ascendancy. That's just my take. That's a really interesting take. And what I see with that, and, you know, when, when you point to it, is um, all the more reason, like the stand that Bob and I have for this show, mm-hmm. is that men, like, get real responsible real quick, mm-hmm. right? Because if this culture continues to be run by the beta male and the sensitive male and the feminized male, what's going to end up happening is they're going to be fodder. <laughs> for the very world you're, you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? And so what there really is, is, and it's, it's something I've been talking about for like five years now. There's a call for leadership. Mm-hmm. And in particular, and this is not to say anything against women at all, but in particular, there is a need, and I see a need, for a call for male leadership, for masculine leadership, you know, that has a particular way of like, A, getting things done, but also from this idea of American exceptionalism, to really view first through the provision and creating a space for the good of the people, because mm-hmm. that's what's great about America, mm-hmm. and protect the people in our society, and to leave a legacy so there is a future for them to live into. That's right. To actually interrupt the thing you're talking about. That's right. And if we continue as we are, and if we follow the rule, the the, the statement of Kamala Harris, and build a coalition of former Obamaites. What's going to happen is we're going to play into the dystopian world that you just created. That's right. And that's what I mean. Yeah. So I don't say this as something normative that I think should be happening. No. I just, I'm using almost a, like a sort of anthropological viewpoint. Yeah, no, exactly. As a dispassionate scholar looking back and seeing what's happening. Yeah. If we don't get our act together, you know, we're going to. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be very uncomfortable. And, and what's going on is we've got, to, you know, if you look, oh, we don't have our thing up. Oh, there it is. Uh, courage over comfort. One of the things, like, foundational to this show is we've got to interrupt our addiction to comfort. Mm -hmm. Like, listen, I love being comfortable as much as the next guy. I love comfort food. I love pizza. You know? I vote for pizza. (laughs) Pizza's beautiful. But you've got to understand what it's about. And there has to be, like, guys have got to, like, pay attention. And, you know, as we said today, Bob, sometimes you're going to have to tell people that you don't want to to shut up. It makes no sense. You're talking out your keister, yeah. you know? And so it's going to be uncomfortable. And But you, you brought something up really interesting earlier. Like, it's okay to offend me, but offend me in a way that is civil and respectful. Yes. Right? And I think that's at the core of it. I think we've got to start operating that way. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure that there's a group of people out there that can actually understand that it's possible to be offended and have it still be civil. Yeah. Well... That's their problem. I mean, I mean, <laughs> they'll just remain. Their intelligence yeah. quotient, quotient, quotient will go down. Yeah, and they're going to be part of you know either the irrelevant or the, the what I call the social ballast that'll get left behind. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, because the world is going to go on. I mean, and um, and again, I, as an educator of twenty three years in the classroom, I see where a cadre of really, really super smart people mm-hmm. are rising up. And uh, the the world is getting uh, there. Are, there are a class of people who are, and I don't mean you have to have a college education to get to be smart, but there are a class of people who are dumbing their minds down yeah. by not being curious, yeah. by yeah. not being interested in solving problems, but by 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 just sitting back and allowing other people mindlessly to solve problems and come up with solutions for for them. Yeah, yeah, cool. We're, but don't we don't Jason? Don't we have a responsibility? as fellow citizens, let's call it, say, fellow citizens, 
to help to create or maintain or to uh, to support a culture whereby the exact thing you brought up becomes it's 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 like you know the way we've disposed of certain certain uh, uh, Bob, you're doing it, you're doing it again. Disposed of certain disciplines. What happened? You're asking a forty minute question with one minute to go. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Well, you know, again, I, well, the question I'll leave it with is: mm-hmm. What's our responsibility yeah. in the context of what you just said as individuals? How can we how can we help to create a culture where these things are birthed or they're supported? as opposed to people being left behind. No, I want to answer that question, so we'll pick it up when we get back. We'll pick it up when we get back. You're listening to Into the Gap, the podcast, where we bring you highlights of our weekly radio show, which airs Saturdays at 1 o'clock Central Time on WCGO AM and FM, Evanston, Chicago. If you'd like to get in touch with questions, comments, or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities, please email me at bob at intothegapmedia.com. Let's go back to the show now. Here's my partner, Mike Sherrick. Hey, it's Mike. We're back on with Professor Jason Hill, author of We Have Overcome, and my partner, Bob Ponarelli. So, Bob, you asked a great question of, uh, of Jason right before you left, and uh, he wants to jump in on it. So, so Bob, I, I think that question was great about how we assume responsibility. And I want to say that we, we have to assume the responsibility by stopping child abuse, child neglect. And I'll tell you what we've done. We have ceded moral responsibility to our children. We are guilty of what I call, a, the, the, we're, we're in the midst of a cult of deference to children, where we've ceded moral responsibility to children. Every single form of conceptual nonsense that comes out of the mouth of children, like Greta Thunberg, the child, the child climate activist, we say, wow, you're brilliant, you're great, instead of telling them, shut the hell up. Shut up and go back to school. Um, and instead of fathers, instead of being pussy whipped, these male feminists who are pussy whipped by their wives, assuming moral responsibility. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, uh, just assuming moral responsibility and, 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 and telling their children that, that they're wrong um, are ceding moral responsibility to their children. And I think that when we begin the process of becoming adults one more, once more in the lives of our children and assuming responsibility, then we can begin to save our culture. But we, we can't save our culture if we are going to cede responsibility to, ch- to mere children. It just can't happen. You know, Jason, what you said, uh, you know, we talked about it earlier, was uh, I've got a friend of mine who works in the, uh, he works for a large relig- religious institution and they've got schools and teachers and there there was this child he's four years old and the, the the mother of the child has identified this young man as being transgender at four right and he he engaged with him and he found out what it was was he's got an eight-year-old sister and they live together they live in the city and they live together and she puts a dress on so he thinks he wants to put a dress on mm. and the mother's taking that and assigned the fact that now this kid is now transgender at four what the kid doesn't know transgender from a trans am, right? And the father's there. And you you talk about feminized men or or or, or male feminists or these guys that are constantly in deference to the, the the whims of their wives, right? This guy just sits back, he goes, Well, I don't want to argue with her. She knows better because she's here with the kids. And this guy who's supposed to be a dad is literally witnessing 
the destruction of his four-year-old son. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like shocked by this. And, and this is more common than not. And so the question becomes, what do we do? We start being friends, trying to be friends to our children. Yeah. And become parents and, and adults in their lives. And we start becoming men. Yes. And, and actually pick up the, the responsibility of what it means to be a man, what mm-hmm. it means to be a father, what it means to be the head of a household, what it means to have a job, what it means to be a leader. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I think we lose, and it's because we've been blessed with uh, incredible prosperity here and incredible safety. I mean, you know, we haven't been in a real war in seven years, but we're in constant conflict. But most of us, you know, are, are really protected in this country. Mm-hmm. And we forget that with freedom comes a tremendous amount of responsibility, you know, on an individual basis. And I don't see people being responsible for the freedom they enjoy. And that's not privilege, right? It's like that's being not responsible. And, and we've, we've collapsed this all. And I think it's just it's a call. You know, what I'm, what I'm really taking away from our conversation today is just more of a call for men to step up and be men. Mm-hmm. That, I, I think that's the solution. And it's really hard to say because we're going to get all kinds of pushback for that, you know? Yeah. But what do you see... What do, you see, do you see there's a beginning step for men to actually own what it means to be a man? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, I see it um, in working class mm-hmm. environments. Yeah. Yes, where the sort of movements that have tried to cripple masculinity really never took root. Right, right. right? So I see it in working class movements where... Uh, fathers do uh, assume some sort of control over the lives of their children. Yeah. And also a sort of sovereignty and autonomy over their lives, yeah. where they have a space where they can, where in a non, I don't like to use this word toxic masculinity because I don't believe in it. Right. But where they don't buy into this, this sort of conceptual garbage that has been foisted on them, like yeah. toxic masculinity. Right. And that they exercise jurisdiction, sovereignty over their lives and know that part of what it is to be a man is to act, among other things, decisively, Mm -hmm. to take action for you, to take responsibility for your actions and to own up to the consequences if there are consequences. Oh my God, yeah. Right, so I see in working class environments, I see see that happening. Um, I think in, I don't, I'm not as optimistic in, say, the effete upper class um, uh, 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 groups of society. Mm-hmm. I think with the hashtag Me Too movement, which started out with legitimate concerns, but like all movements, have strayed from its lane yeah. and is now, you know, banning everything from the swimsuit section of the Miss America contest to having, you know, the. Which the is one, the only reason I watched it. Yeah, which is the reason <laughs> anyone would watch it, to having, um, you know, the female protagonist in James Bond movie rolling her eyes when James Bond indicates that he likes her. Um, I see that having a really crippling effect on, on masculinity. So I think we, we're, we're living in a really bifurcated society yeah. where there are one class of men, construction workers, working class men who have never stopped being men, right. um, asserting their masculinity. Uh, and feminism had no effect on the sensibilities of these men in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then you've got an effete class of, of what I call the male feminists, mm-hmm. who are completely paralyzed and hoodwinked um, by the movement, and 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 take out their frustrations 
in drug addiction, in alcohol. Um, and so I don't see that going anywhere at all. And of course, as a professor in yeah. the colleges where I see things like transing the curricula, and I see where male students have to go through these egregious workshops where uh, they're terrified of no asking women out on a date and even afraid of kissing her first, where there's something like what they're being told, like you be afraid of g being guilty of uninvited at sexual attention. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. so, no, so I can't go up to some girl and say she's cute, right? Or even ask her on a date, unless oh, okay. she's, she invites you to ask her out on a date. I don't know what that looks like. So uh, yeah. the short answer <laughs> to your question, or the long answer to your question is, I see masculinity in the educated class being uh, more crippling wow. than ever before. It's a sorry state of affairs for, wow. those, for those men. Uh, the future does not look good at all yeah um yeah you're going to have to be very 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 strong and and be willing to face the consequences that's why we got to write more books brother you know and talk about this so I, you need people like me to speak out exactly that's why not, we got you here man and not be afraid that's why we got you here <laughs> I, I put something on the on the facebook about this this guy's a like a stand for freedom and is unafraid of anything like just we'll say it as it is so listen man we're out of time well thank you for having what me. would you um so everyone go out and get their book, We Have Overcome, by Professor Jason Hill. Jason, again, thank you so much. Bob, thank you, thank you man, for, for playing through the pain. You are a bad thank dude. You. Please allow us to thank you for listening to this show, as we are only too aware that your support makes it possible. 